there. Welcome to this episode of Down to Sleep. Tonight I will be continuing The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, which was a children's book published in Britain in 1908. It focuses on four anthropomorphized animals, the mole, the rat, the toad, and the badger. I hope that you enjoy this reading and it helps you get down to sleep tonight. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to support it whilst getting twice as many episodes because you get a bonus episode every single week and every episode is twice as long, then come and join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. It's just a few dollars a month and it supports the podcast and you get all of those bonuses. So thank you. But for now, let's go ahead and take a nice deep breath, tuck you in, and let's get down to sleep. We start from chapter two. The open road. Ratty, said the mole suddenly, one bright summer morning. If you please, I want to ask you a favour. The rat was sitting on the riverbank, singing a little song. He had just composed it himself, so he was very taken up with it, and would not pay proper attention to mole or anything else. Since early morning he had been swimming in the river, in company with his friends the ducks, and when the ducks stood on their heads suddenly, as ducks will, he would dive down and tickle their necks, just under where their chins were, if ducks had chins, till they were forced to come to the surface again in a hurry, spluttering and angry and shaking their feathers at him, for it is impossible to say quite all you feel when your head is under water. At last they implored him to go away and attend to his own affairs and leave them to mind theirs. So the rat went away, and sat on a riverbank in the sun, and made up a song about them, which he called the Duck's Ditty. All along the backwater, through the rushes tall, ducks are a-dabbling up tails all. Ducks' tails, drakes' tails, yellow feet a-quiver, yellow bills all out of sight, busy in the river. Slushy green undergrowth, where the roach swim, here we keep our larder, cool and full and dim. Everyone for what he likes, we like to be. Heads down, tails up, dabbling free. High in the blue above, swifts whirl and call. We are down a-dabbling, up tails all. I don't know that I think so very much of that little song rat, observed the mole cautiously. He was no poet himself and didn't care who knew it, and had a candid nature. "'Nor don't the ducks, neither,' replied the rat cheerfully. "'They say, why can't fellows be allowed to do what they like, when they like and as they like, instead of other fellows sitting on banks and watching them all the time, and making remarks and poetry and things about them? What nonsense it all is, that's what the ducks say.' "'So it is, so it is,' said the mole, with great heartiness. "'No, it isn't,' cried the rat indignantly. "'Well, then, it isn't.' "'It isn't,' replied the Mole soothingly. "'But what I wanted to ask you was, "'won't you take me on a call to Mr. Toad? "'I've uh, heard so much about him, "'and I do so want to make his acquaintance.' "'Why, certainly,' said the good-natured rat, "'jumping to his feet and dismissing poetry "'from his mind for the day. "'Get the boat out, and we'll paddle up there at once. "'It's never the wrong time to call on Toad. "'Early or late, he's always the same fellow, "'always good-tempered, always glad to see you. "'Always sorry when you go.' "'He must be a very nice animal,' observed the Mole, "'as he got into the boat and took the skulls. 
while the rat settled himself comfortably in the stern. He is indeed the best of animals, replied the rat. So simple, good-natured, and so affectionate. Perhaps he's not very clever, we can't all be geniuses, and it may be that he is both boastful and conceited, but he has some great qualities, has Toady. Rounding a bend in the river, they came in sight of a handsome, dignified old house of mellowed red brick with well-kept lawns reaching down to the water's edge. There's Toad Hall, said the rat, and that creek on the left where the notice board says private, no landing allowed, that leads to its boathouse, where we'll leave the boat. The stables are over there to the right, that's the banqueting hall that you're looking at now, very old that is. Toad is rather rich, you know, and this is really one of the nicest houses in these parts, although we never admit as much to Toad. He glided up the creek, and the mole shipped his skulls as they passed into the shadow of a large boathouse. Here they saw many handsome boats slung from the crossbeams or hauled up on a slip, but none in the water, and the place had an unused and deserted air. The rat looked around him. I understand, said he. Boating is played out, he's tired of it and done with it. I wonder what new fad he's taken up now. Come along, let's look him up. We'll hear all about it quite soon enough. They disembarked and strolled across the gay flower-decked lawns in search of Toad, whom they presently happened upon resting in a wicker garden chair, with a preoccupied expression of face and a large map spread out on his knees. "'Hooray!' he cried, jumping up on seeing them. "'This is splendid!' He shook the paws of both of them warmly, never waiting for an introduction to Mole. "'How kind of you!' he went on, dancing around them. "'I was just going to send a boat down the river for you, Ratty, with strict orders that you were to be fetched up here at once. Whatever you were doing, I want you badly. Both of you. Now, what will you take? Come inside and have something. You don't know how lucky it is you're turning up just now.' "'Let's sit quiet a bit, Toady,' said the rat, throwing himself into an easy chair while the mole took another by the side of him, and made some civil remarks about Toad's delightful residence. "'Finest house on the whole river!' cried Toad boisterously, or anywhere else for that matter. He could not help adding. Here the rat nudged the mole. Unfortunately, the Toad saw him do it, and turned very red. There was a moment's painful silence, and then— Toad burst out laughing. "'All right, Ratty,' he said. "'It's only my way, you know, and it's not such a very bad house, is it? You know, rather like it yourself. Now, look here, let's be sensible. You are the very animals that I wanted. You've got to help me. It's most important.' "'It's about your rowing, I suppose,' said the Rat, with an innocent air. "'You're getting on fairly well, though you splash a good bit still. With a great deal of patience and any quantity of coaching, you may—' Oh, poo, boating, interrupted the toad in great disgust. Silly, boyish amusement. I've given that up long ago. Sheer waste of time, that's what it is. Makes me downright sorry to see you fellows, who ought to know better, spending all your energies in that aimless manner. No, I've discovered the real thing, the only genuine occupation for a lifetime. I propose to devote the remainder of mine to it, and can only regret the wasted years that lie behind me, squandered in trivialities. Come with me, my dear Ratty, and your amiable friend also, if he will be so very good. 
just as far as the stable yard, and you shall see what you shall see. He led the way to the stable yard accordingly, the rat following with a most mistrustful expression. And there, drawn out of the coach-house in the open, they saw a gypsy caravan, shining with newness, painted a canary yellow, picked out with green and red wheels. "'There you are!' cried the toad, straddling and expanding himself. "'There's a real life for you, embodied in that little cart. "'The open road, the dusty highway, the heath, the common, the hedgerows, "'the rolling downs, camps, villages, towns, cities. "'Here today, up and off to somewhere else tomorrow. "'Travel, change, interest, excitement. "'The whole world before you, and a horizon that's always changing. "'And mind, this is the very finest cart of its sort that was ever built.' without any exception. Come inside, look at the arrangements. Planned them all myself, I did. The mole was tremendously interested and excited, and followed him eagerly up the stairs and into the interior of the caravan. The rat only snorted and thrust his hands deep into his pockets, remaining where he was. It was indeed very compact and comfortable. Little sleeping bunks, a little table that folded up against a wall, a cooking stove, lockers, bookshelves, a bird cage with a bird in it, pots, pans, jugs, and kettles of every size and variety. All complete, said the toad triumphantly, pulling open a locker. You see, biscuits, potted lobster, sardines, everything you could possibly want, soda water here, backy there, letter paper, bacon, jam, cards, dominoes, you'll find. He continued as they descended the steps again. You'll find that nothing, whatever, has been forgotten when we make our start this afternoon. I beg your pardon, said the rat slowly as he chewed a straw. Did I overhear you say something about we and start and this afternoon? Now, you dear good old ratty, said Toad imploringly. Don't begin talking in that stiff and sniffy sort of way. You know you've got to come. I can't possibly manage without you, so please consider it settled and don't argue. It's the one thing I can't stand. You surely don't mean to stick to your dull, fusty old river all your life? Just live in a hole in a bank in a boat? I want to show you the world. I'm going to make an animal of you, my boy. I don't care, said the rat doggedly. I'm not coming, and that's flat. And I am going to stick to my old river and live in a hole and boat, as I've always done. And what's more... "'Mole's going to stick with me, as I do it, aren't you, Mole?' "'Of course I am,' said the Mole loyally. "'I'll always stick to you, Rat. "'And what you say is to be has got to be. "'All the same, it sounds as if it might have been, "'well, rather fun, you know,' he added wistfully. "'Poor Mole. "'The life adventurous was so new a thing to him and so thrilling. "'This fresh aspect of it was so tempting.' He had fallen in love at first sight with the canary-coloured cart and all its little fitments. The rat saw what was passing in his mind and wavered. He hated disappointing people, and he was fond of the mole, and would do almost anything to oblige him. Toad was watching both of them closely. "'Come along in and have some lunch,' he said diplomatically. We'll talk it over. We needn't decide anything in a hurry. Of course, I don't really care. I only want to give pleasure to you fellows. Live for others. That's my motto in life. During luncheon, which was excellent, of course, as everything at Toad Hall always was, 
the toad simply let himself go. Disregarding the rat, he proceeded to play upon the inexperienced mole as on a harp. Naturally a voluble animal and always mastered by his imagination, he painted the prospects of the trip and the joys of the open life, the roadside in such glowing colours that the mole could hardly sit in his chair for excitement. Somehow it soon seemed taken for granted by all three of them that the trip was a settled thing, and the rat, though still unconvinced in his mind, allowed his good nature to override personal objections. He could not bear to disappoint his two friends, who were already deep in schemes and anticipations, planning out each day's separate occupation for several weeks ahead. When they were quite ready, the now triumphant toad led his companions to the paddock and set them to capture the old grey horse, who, without having consulted and to his own extreme annoyance, had been told off by Toad for the dustiest job in this dusty expedition. He frankly preferred the paddock, and took a deal of catching. Meantime, Toad packed the lockers still tighter with necessaries, and hung nosebags, nets of onions, bundles of hay, baskets from the bottom of the cart. At last the horse was harnessed, and they set off, all talking at once, each animal either trudging by the side of the cart or sitting on the shaft. It was a golden afternoon. The smell of the dust they kicked up was rich and satisfying. Out of thick orchards on either side of the road, birds called and whistled to them cheerily. Good-natured wayfarers passing them gave them a good day. They stopped to say nice things about their beautiful cart, and rabbits sitting at their front doors in their hedgerows held up their forepaws and said, Oh my, oh my, oh my. Late in the evening, tired and happy and miles from home, they drew up on a remote common, far from habitations, turned the horse loose to graze, and ate their simple supper sitting on the grass by the side of the cart. Toad talked big about all he was going to do in the days to come, while stars grew fuller and larger all around them. A yellow moon appeared suddenly and silently from nowhere in particular, and it came to keep them company and listen to their talk. At last they turned into their little bunks, in the cart, and Toad, kicking out his legs sleepily, said, Well, good night, you fellows. This is a real life for a gentleman. Talk about your old river. I don't talk about my river, replied the patient rat. You know I don't, but I think about it, he added pathetically, in a lower tone. I think about it all the time. The mole reached out from under his blanket, felt for the rat's paw in the darkness, and gave it a squeeze. I'll do whatever you like, Ratty, he whispered. Shall we run away tomorrow morning quite early, very early, and go back to our dear old hole in the river? No, no, we'll see it out, whispered back the rat. Thanks awfully, but I ought to stick by Toad till the trip's ended. Wouldn't be safe for him to be left by himself. It won't take very long. His fads never do. Good night. The end was indeed nearer than even the rat suspected. After so much open air and excitement, the toad slept very soundly. No amount of shaking could rouse him out of his bed the next morning. So the mole and rat turned to, quietly and manfully, 
and while the rat saw to the horse and lit a fire and cleaned last night's cups and platters and got things ready for breakfast, the mole trudged off to the nearest village, a long way off, for milk and eggs and various necessaries that the toad had, of course, forgotten to provide. The hard work had all been done, and the two animals were resting, thoroughly exhausted, by the time Toad appeared on the scene, fresh and gay, remarking what a pleasant, easy life it was that they were all leading now, after the cares and worries and fatigues of housekeeping at home. They had a pleasant ramble that day over grassy downs and along narrow by-lanes. They camped as before on a common, only this time the two guests took care that Toad should do his fair share of work. In consequence, when the time came for starting next morning, Toad was by no means so rapturous about the simplicity of primitive life, and indeed attempted to resume his place in his bunk, whence he was hauled by force. Their way lay as before across the country by narrow lanes, and it was not till afternoon that they came out on the high road, their first high road, and there, disaster, fleet and unforeseen sprang out on them. Disaster momentous indeed to their expedition, but simply overwhelming in its effect on the after-career of Toad. They were strolling along the high road easily, the mole by the horse's head, talking to him, since the horse had complained that he was being frightfully left out of it, and nobody considered him in the least. The Toad and the water rat walking behind the cart talking together. At least Toad was talking, and Rat was saying at intervals, Yes, precisely, and what did you say to him? and thinking all the time of something very different. When far behind them they heard a faint warning hum, like the drone of a distant bee. Glancing back they saw a small cloud of dust, with a dark centre of energy, advancing on them at incredible speed, while from out of the dust a faint poop-poop wailed like an uneasy animal in pain. Hardly regarding it, they turned to resume their conversation, when in an instant, as it seemed, the peaceful scene was changed, and with a blast of wind and a whirl of sound that made them jump for the nearest ditch, it was on them. The poop-poop rang with a brazen shout in their ears. They had a moment's glimpse of an interior of glittering plate glass and rich Morocco, a magnificent motor-car, immense, breath-snatching, passionate, with its pilot tense and hugging his wheel, possessed all the earth and air for a fraction of a second, flung an enveloping cloud of dust that blinded and enwrapped them utterly, and dwindled to a speck in the far distance changing back into a droning bee once more. The old grey horse dreaming as he plodded along of his quiet paddock in a new raw situation such as this simply abandoned himself to his natural emotions rearing, plunging, backing steadily in spite of all the mole's efforts at his head, and all the mole's lively language directed at his better feelings. He drove the cart backwards towards the deep ditch at the side of the road. It wavered an instant, then a heart-rending crash. The canary-coloured cart, their pride and joy, lay on its side in the ditch. An irredeemable wreck. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode and on The Wind in the Willows. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you enjoyed this week's reading. I will see you next Monday.
for another one. If you would like to hear the extended version of this and the continuation of this reading, come and join me at Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. That's where you can get the extended versions and all of the bonus episodes. Currently reading Lord of the Rings as well, if you would like to hear that. Again, thank you for joining me. I hope that this helped you relax. And hopefully you're not even hearing my voice right now. And you're off having wonderful dreams of being on a common somewhere. Or maybe of motor cars flying by you. Until next time. Good night.